Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today I'm joined by Carrie Kasten, who is an established business manager, money coach, who's been doing this for over 25 years, working with an array of clients to help them understand not just how to manage money, but they understand their relationship with money. This is Diana Clark, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome, Carrie Kasten. Thank you, Diana. It's great to be here. So, Tell us, in a world where nobody really likes to talk about money outside of certain business ventures, how did you get involved in this career? How did you wind up being the person who would talk about those things that are uncomfortable to talk about? Well, I have to tell you, I started off in business management, where it's more execution of financial duties and tasks, but we're not really talking about the relationship with money. And then I would say over the years, I was always fascinated by why some clients could save and why some clients always overspent. And then more and more, I started working with people going through divorce and transitions in their life. And they were willing to open up and express how they really didn't have financial literacy, how they were overwhelmed, these feelings of shame, these feelings of guilt. And so I was fascinated by that. I have a psychology, you know, a little uh, psychology minor. So I went back and I started to learn more about people and their relationship with money and how that relationship causes certain behaviors and patterns that either help people reach their financial goals or keeps them from reaching their financial goals. And it's been fascinating. I would imagine, I remember just as a young kid with my brothers, the way we managed allowance was completely opposite. My older brother hoarded it, put it in his little safe with the, you know, the the combination, little bank safe. And I went out and mm-hmm. spent mine on candy that very day. So, mm-hmm. That can't be an unusual dilemma in a family. You know, it's not an unusual dilemma in a family. The same way that when you have siblings, you and your siblings can have such different personalities. And sometimes you say, how were we raised in the same house with the same parents? We're completely different people. So we all are unique individuals. We all pick up certain things from our mother, certain things from our father, Even my brother and I can be very different in the way we deal with money, the way we make other life choices. So it's just one of those factors. Uh, What you picked up could be different than what your brother picked up and what you saw and those behaviors. So that's what's so interesting. And the piece I think a lot of financial planners sometimes overlook is the same as a fitness coach. You can sit with somebody and say, okay, if you want to lose weight, you should only eat protein and vegetables and blah, blah, blah. But unless you get to the underlying reason why they always turn to sugar and foods that derail them, you know, it's not as effective of a plan. 
So money is the same thing. If we understand the underlying reasons why, they're more likely to stick to a plan and to reach their financial goals. And I would imagine that given the work you do of blending, you know, financial work with coaching work and support work, that you are integral in somebody sustaining a financial plan in the same way that perhaps a trainer is essential for somebody maintaining a physical fitness plan. Exactly. I mean, that's really, sometimes I say I'm like a financial trainer. Because, and I think, again, you have to have somebody who is willing to do the work, who is ready to do the work, who is ready to commit. And then they just need some support, some encouragement, some education to really get a successful plan. When any of those steps fail, the plan's not as successful. And I love it. I love changing the landscape of people talking about money, especially women. I know that sounds a little sexist, but women still are at a disadvantage even today. Talking about money, talking about money with their friends. I just still think that society um, teaches us that boys are better at money and, and husbands should take care of the finances and women shouldn't do it as much. And, you know, there's a study that shows that men, when they have successful friends, are more likely to become successful in investors. Because if a, a bunch of men are together and a guy says, hey, you know, I'm putting together a fund to go into this investment, do you want to get in? Uh, their male friends are a lot more likely to say, sure, tell me about it. This is an amazing opportunity. Women, if you get a group of women together and I say, oh, I'm putting together a fund, do you want to get in? All of a sudden, women tend to say, oh, now I feel uncomfortable. I feel you've overstepped our friendship bound. I'm not sure. This this doesn't feel right. Women invest, le- I, I can't remember, I think it's about 40% less than men. And that's, you know, today. Um, we invest lo- lots of things, but not money, right? Right. We're, <laughs> we're afraid. I'm telling you, women will go out and they'll spend $10,000 on a purse, but they're nervous to put $10,000 into the stock market or into an investment. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes from education, from conversation. Um, and while we are making progress, there still is a lot more work to be done. Because when you feel confident with something, anything, you're more likely to do it. When everything seems overwhelming, people get so overwhelmed with finances. And I always say, it doesn't have to be so complicated. There's a simple way to do it, little by little, first base by first base. Don't always look for the home run, just little by little. You know, we make little changes, we invest little bits of money, so it's let and we learn along the way. So if we make a mistake, it's not as big of a mistake. It's just, you know, more minor. And, and that's, I have found how people really grow and keep to the plan. And it sounds like there's a much larger shaming dialogue that goes on with women when they take a risk and it doesn't pan out. Men say, well, that's business. That's investing. Now, there still is a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And, you know, men too. I mean, sometimes men will do these investments and they don't want to say, I don't really understand it because they think they should understand it. 
So, but, but, you know, women, but they'll still go ahead and do it. Women, because they don't understand it, sometimes will say, I'm not going to do it because I don't fully understand it. So I'm just going to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So neither one is good. We need to have these conversations. We need to be open just so that we can educate each other, so that we can help each other, even friends. I mean, I always think it's a, you know, we talk to our friends about everything, our problems with our husband, our problems with our children, our problems with our own images. But yet, for some reason, we don't talk to women and our close friends about money and our fear about money and our insecurities about money and our lack of knowledge about money. So I I think that's a shame. And I'm trying to change that, you know, one woman at a time, one friendship at a time. That's great. So I would imagine that you work with the bulk of women. Is that true? Or do you find your practice equally dispersed between men and women? So my practice is equally dispersed among men or women. Um, You know, business management is a lot different. We really take over the financial day-to-day operations, kind of like a back office for families, for individuals. So that's one service. When it comes to coaching, I will say uh, it's more women, but there's also some men. You know, I work with a lot of women going through divorce because they tend to be more at a disadvantage, not always, but more often than not. But I also deal with men, but I will say probably more women. So what are the specific issues for a human, we won't go men or woman, when they are getting divorced that makes them a good client for you or why they would seek to start working with you? What happens during a divorce? Well, during a divorce, so many things are happening, right? You're emotionally often devastated. You're scared. You're overwhelmed. There's legal things coming at you that if you're not a lawyer, you don't understand. Now there's emotional decisions that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when you have children, what your future is going to be like, all of that. On top of it, there's financial decisions. Is my life going to look the same going forward? Am I going to have to cut back? I haven't paid attention. It's really a problem when one partner, either the man or the woman, has totally abdicated their financial responsibilities in the marriage, and they have no clue. So we support them through that. We support them in understanding just the financial aspect of going through a divorce, what it's going to be like, what information they need to figure out, what their next chapter is going to look like. Will it be the same? Will it be better? Will it be worse? So that's where I think we're we're very beneficial when people are going through divorce because your attorneys don't do that. And frankly, you know, at the rate that everybody, that people pay their attorneys, you don't want them to do that. You want to be a little organized and have your attorney really focus on all the legal stuff and maximize the amount of, you know, get the biggest bang for the buck when you're sitting in front of your attorney. I have worked with a couple of clients who were spouses of generational wealth and Mm -hmm. had no idea what was Mm -hmm. actually part of their family's Mm -hmm. income or part of a larger trust income. And I would imagine that digging in that moment would be intimidating 
and overwhelming as well. Digging in that moment, it is. And unfortunately, had the couple started having conversations from the time they were married all the way through the marriage, they would understand that a little better. You know, we, we, we know that quite often somebody marries somebody with family wealth. Well, family wealth is not community property. So they live this life. They think they've hit the mother load. They don't understand the day they get divorced. They're like a poor person married to a wealthy person, but it's never shared. And that's really surprising to them and shocking to them. And they didn't understand it, which, you know, in this day and age, again, when they first get married, it would be nice if somebody explained it to them up front so they could make different choices along the way. You know, I worked with clients before where one spouse has said, well, you know, my husband has all this money from his family that he keeps separately. And the money that he makes from his job, we go through that to the bone. So we're not saving anything together. And then if we need money, he just puts money from his separate account to the joint account. So I had to explain to her, well, you realize if you get divorced, there's nothing. Your community pot has saved nothing. That's going to be a problem. Your kids are young. Everybody's in love. Everything is good. Now's the time to have the conversation with him that that doesn't feel good. I need some of this money, you know, moved into a joint account so that I know I have some security or I need to go and get a job right now and start building my own security. But to do nothing is a very dangerous position for these women or men to put themselves in. And then they blink their eyes and 20 years, 30 years has gone by. And now, you know, sometimes it doesn't end so well. Right. And then the kids actually have much greater wealth than that spouse, right? That's right. The kids have greater wealth, which puts the kids in a bad position. Now they feel they have to take care of, you know, one parent, which nobody wants. I mean, it's not a great situation when with the kids. I can imagine that. So switching topics just slightly, somebody's going through an emotional divorce, or they're having a stressful time at work, or what are the warning signs of somebody who is spending emotionally? In the same way, what are the warning signs for somebody who's eating emotionally? What are those well, signs? Look, when somebody's eating emotionally, I mean, it's pretty easy to tell when, you know, they've gained a lot of weight, <laughs> right? When someone's gained a lot of right. weight, sometimes we can look back and say, why did they let themselves get 40, 50 pounds overweight? Something's going on. This isn't just, I was really hungry. Same thing. I mean, I see it from business management. So when we see clients shopping and shopping and spending and shopping and, you know, so much with such excess, this isn't about the stuff anymore. This isn't that they need to have 350 pairs of shoes. There's a, a bigger component going on. There's a more emotional component going on that we find and that we start to explore. So that's how we see it with our clients. That's how we can identify it. But, you know, you only need so much stuff. And especially coming out of this pandemic, I think people really saw you don't need a lot of stuff. Everybody was home. I don't know about you, but I was wearing the same five things for the past year. <laughs> and yet I was shopping online. Found myself doing that in a way I for hadn't clothes. done prior to the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. 
And did you wear the clothes? No. Right. I mean, that's what I mean, a lot of times, was it fear? It wasn't need. Was it boredom? It's the same thing as eating. When you look at, are you eating because you're hungry? Are you eating because you're bored? Are you eating because you're lonely? What emo- are you eating for other emotional reasons? Shopping is the same thing. Are you shopping because you need something? Or are you shopping to fill a void? That you're bored, that you're scared, that there's uncertainty. So all of those, we look at all of those to really see, you know, how you're emotionally spending. And for some people, it's minor things. But for other people, they spend its major things that can derail them from their plan. Either way, we want to be more mindful with our lives, with everything, right? With our health and wellness, they all go together. The financial component is just one of several components in our life. Do you find that some individuals actually connect their sense of self-worth to money, to what they accumulate and how they spend it? I find a lot of individuals connect their self-worth to money and how they spend it. And when we go back and look at the financial archetypes, and most people identify with one or two different archetypes, we really see, we really try to pinpoint when that belief got started, how it got started. We work with clients to sort of uh, have them kind of think of how their worth comes from other sources, right? We make a list of qualities and attributes so they can see their worth is not tied up in what they wear or what they have, but really the kind of person that they are and what they're contributing. But sure, there's a lot of people that identify their worth with what they have, which is a shame. And they attract friends that that same belief system. And those aren't great friends. Those aren't great partners. You know, money comes and goes. And at the end of the day, it's not about the material things you have. It's about the relationships that you have and the quality of life that you have. That's what I'm trying to get clients to understand and strive for more and more, little by little, to reach that goal. What a great goal, to become good humans. Right? To become good humans. Well, listen, everybody has to really realize what brings them joy in life. If it's material things, that's one thing. Other people, it's travel. Other people, it's relationships. But, you know, they always say on your deathbed, very few people are saying, God, I wish I had that one jacket that I didn't buy, or I wish I had, you know, four more pairs of shoes. And when you're sick, none of that matters. I always say health is above everything because none of it matters. If you can't leave the house because you're sick, it doesn't matter what material object you have. So, I mean, we have to just keep reminding people of, as humans, what our goals should be. And if we focus less on that stuff, we have time to focus on other things. Right. You mentioned the word joy. Where, as an expert, do you believe the balance lies in improving your savings while still enjoying having money, finding joy in it? How do you, well, where's the well, balance? This is the problem I find with clients is that everybody set, creates their life and then they figure out how to pay for it. And that usually doesn't work so well and it doesn't leave a lot left for savings. So I always say, put savings first. What's more important than yourself? Pay yourself first, save first, then see what you have left 
and within those parameters, create the most joyful life for you. And know that you're not overextending. You know, whatever that's different for everybody. And everybody, it's a personal statement. And I come from a place of no judgment. If you want to buy a $300 eye cream, God bless. Buy the $300 eye cream if that's going to give you the most joy. It's when everybody does everything. And they're always trying to, you know, create this. They think everything is joy. So people really need to be honest with what's going to bring them the most joy and not sacrifice their savings to get that. The savings have to come first. A percentage of your income has to go towards savings and then you create your lifestyle. That's where people get into the most trouble. They say, well, I have to have a house and my kids have to go to this school and I have to drive a safe car. And I mean, everybody belongs to a country club, so I have to belong to a country club and I'm eating out four times a week. Gosh, I don't have any money left for savings, but what am I supposed to do? I mean, I have to do these. I have to have a nanny. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Okay, they end up in trouble later in life. Mm-hmm. I so, can see that. That happens time and time again, and we don't know what the future holds. So put the money aside now. If you have enough money saved that you know you're set if you never make another dollar, then, then go have a great time. But really, even, even if money is not an, an issue, I mean, I have clients that have plenty of money. It's not a budgeting issue, but they're not really, you know, it's, it's not reflecting joy in life, right? We know that money can't buy you happiness. It's that old saying. So we want people, when they have the choices, to live the happiest, most meaningful, most mindful life possible and to teach their kids that. You know, our mm-hmm. kids are watching what we do. So f- it's not just about us. It's about the next generation. And we really need to be responsible in our actions, in our words, and in our behaviors and what we're teaching our children. That is great advice. Great advice. So I like to finish a podcast on what is one last thing you would like our audience to know? Well, one thing I like the audience to know, and one thing I think is so important that companies do, but families don't do. If you're starting a company, you have a vision, you have a plan, you have a business plan. And not only do you have that plan, but you have meetings to make sure, are we hitting our targets? Do we need to scale back? How are we doing? Are we ahead of our plan? Are we behind our plan? But yet with a family and with finances, we don't do that. We sort of hope we're going to get to retirement with enough. We hope we're not going to overspend. We hope we're going to have meaning and joy. We hope we're going to teach our kids valuable lessons. But we're not doing regular monthly check-in meetings as a family or as a couple to say, hey, and, and it's constantly changing. So you can't make one plan today and then just check back in in five years because life is always changing. So I think that couples from the time they get married should start having these plans together. I think when you are part of the process of making a plan, you are more likely to stick to the plan. I think when you are told to do something or told that you can't do something and you feel restricted and you feel out of control, that's when you veer off course. So, and I think that, you know, it's important to have these family meetings, what's working, what's not working. Again, not just from the financial point of view, but everything. How are we communicating? What plans do we want to make as a family? But the financial piece is also an important piece. What do we stand for as a family? 
What are our values? And are we spending our money? I mean, I see people that say, oh, gosh, you know, I'm so philanthropic and I really care about animals and I really care about this and I really care about that cause. And when you look at what they're spending money on, it's very little on charity and it's a lot on other stuff. So, you know, and again, no judgment, but if that's really what you believe, shouldn't you be spending more money on that and less money on, you know, other stuff that people always say, oh, I don't care about this or I don't care about that. I'm, you know, but where you spend your dollars really does reflect what you care about or it should, re it should reflect what you care about, I should say. So I try to get people mindful of that and to say, you know, it's a, it's not a one-time conversation. It's a conversation that you have to have over and over as life changes, as our needs change, as the world around us changes for ourselves, whatever chapter we're in, for our partners as a couple, with our children when they're little and then when we have adult children, um, to stay connected, to stay on track. And I think that that reduces a lot of stress. You know, people sometimes say, I have so much anxiety and I have so much stress. And I believe a lot of that comes from just the unknown and the fear. And they don't want to know because they know it's not good that let's say they're overspending. But knowledge is power. And the more you know, you have the ability to make the changes if you want to, like anything, right? Like addiction, like mm -hmm. overeating, you can change, but you have to want to do the work. Nobody's going to do the work for you. So somebody can give you a budget. If you don't stick to it, there was no point even doing it. I think when people are willing to do the work and when they're willing to do the work to go back to understand the patterns, because a lot of them are subconscious, we don't even realize why we're spending. We don't even realize the messages that we may. I had a, a client one time that was spending all the time. And it wasn't until we looked back to realize that from a small child, her mother, who had her own issues, always taught her that, oh, no, you have to look a certain way, your hair has to be a certain way, your makeup has to look a certain way, and that's why people will like you. Well, if you're telling that to a five-year-old and a six-year-old, you bet they're probably going to believe it when they're 20 and 25. Right. Why wouldn't they? Their mother told them that. That was their mother's beliefs, but that doesn't have to be their belief. But, you know, they didn't even realize that. So it was, we sort of go through life unconsciously. Again, we do a lot of things unconsciously. So I try to have people mindful of that as they're earning money and as they're creating this life and as they're transitioning through different chapters. Because life is long, full of many chapters, some better than others. Exactly. I want to thank you today for talking about the subject that people don't tend to talk about money, how we spend it, why we spend it, and what is our relationship to it. So Carrie Kasdan, appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. It was great being here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. So thank you for joining us for today's episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast with Carrie Kasdan. You can find more information about her and her services at kerrykasdan.com. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to listen to more, please find us on any of your podcast platforms and like us, please. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.